Hi. Hi. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'll get there. <laughs> I will get there. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe you now here. Uh, so Julie and I are standing up here because uh, we feel pretty strongly that the Lord has told us that our <laughs> season here has come to an end and that we will be stepping down and uh, obviously it's a thing <laughs> and I hope it's, I'm sorry if that just comes as a blow. Uh, it certainly has for us. I'll be explaining it in a second. It was quite a surprise to us uh, that we would be here right now. Uh, the thing I want to say is, is that We've lived here longer than anywhere we've ever lived in our entire lives. Each of us, from growing up till now, this is the longest we've ever lived anywhere. This has been the greatest thing that we've ever done, and I want to tell you that we've had a life that has been filled with great things. But this is the greatest thing that we've ever been privileged to be a part of. We just are so thankful to God for getting to be with you and for all of the things that have happened over 23 years, this church has really gone through a ton of things. In fact, it's, it's extraordinary what God has done with us over these 20 years. There's literally thousands and thousands of lives that have been deeply touched. There's hundreds of people that have come to the Lord, hundreds that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, hundreds that have been baptized there are, I don't know, but I'm guessing it's over a thousand people that have been discipled in a deep and significant way and seen their lives change in some way that was glorious and that is all due to him. And uh, But I'd have to say, it's all due to him, but it's because of you. Yep, that's... It's because you were willing. Because, I mean, I, I should probably apologize as I will forevermore for all of the different changes that we did. <laughs> But that was a passionate and radical pursuit of God at every corner that we were trying to get it right. We weren't just trying to do church. We weren't just trying to build something. We were trying to do whatever the Lord was telling us to do. And you cannot do that if it's just one or two people standing on the stage. You can only do that when there's a group of people like you who care about, love, want to do whatever he's telling you to do, no matter what it means, no matter what it is. And that's who this congregation has been for 23 years in all of its iterations. It's been a passionate pursuit of God. I want to say, the way that the Lord says it is, I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, meaning of similar spirit. And then as I want you to love each other as I've loved you. And I want to say... The thing, all the great things that God has done will resonate in our hearts and our minds forever. It'll be that thing that when we're old and we see each other and we'll talk and reminisce, that's there. But I have to say the thing that means the most to me is the love. This place is so loving. 
there are, even when people leave, they may move or they may go to another church, whatever they do, even when people leave, their strongest relationships in their life years later are the people that they met here. There was just a thing that God did amongst us in his glory to knit people together, to bring them to him in love, but to bring them to one another in love. And I just have to tell you, that's the thing that'll resonate with me forever, the way that people loved each other here. So I love you. Thank you for loving us. It's been extraordinary. I'll be talking about more details in a second after break, but do you want to say anything, sweetheart? Well, I, the thing that comes to mind is um, when I met Curtis, he was radical, and I really like that. <laughs> my mother, so my, sorry, my mother always said, you, Julie, you always liked your men and your horses a little out of control. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like that about him. But I think that we as a body have, are radical for Christ. I really do. And I think we've done that. I mean, we've stepped out in ways that are crazy, you know? And I know that lives have changed. Over the 22, 23 years, it's been a while, but I know lives have been changed, and I have loved doing it with you. Everyone here is always willing to say yes and amen. Amen. And that's who we want to be. We don't want to be sitting in the back. We want to be in the front, right, all the way down. So I just, uh, it's just who we are, you know? And it's been a wonderful time, and I'm not even sure I understand what it will feel like or be like, but I sure want to go flat out. Amen. Always. Amen. Right? Amen. Always. Amen. So we love you guys, and thank you for walking with us. Thank you for being radical with us, and um, who knows what's next, but, <laughs> but I love you. I love you guys. Love you too. I would kiss you all too. <laughs> uh, you want me yeah, no, go ahead. Let's okay. go ahead. Eric is going to pray for the sermon if you can. It's not a sermon, but yeah. God, you told us that uh, where there is a lack of vision, the people perish. And right now, as always, we need your vision. Uh, we need your vision at this crossroads. Amen. Uh, we need vision for Lake Sam and, and what you want to do with us and to take us. And we are asking for vision for Kurt and Julie as they go off and do other things. Um, and just pray that you would keep us looking forward, Amen. that you would fill our hearts with that vision and uh, an excitement and a passion, just what Julie just said, uh, to you know, floor that, that pedal and, and uh, jump into what you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Um, God, I'd also I pray for um, Redmond Methodist Church Amen. this morning as they are so invested in the community down there. I pray that you would just help them work out their faith and minister to others around them. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So pray for me to keep it together here. Um, I feel like there's some 
things that the Lord wants to do here right now, and I'm just going to kind of describe process. Let me get to a couple of details because people are going to be wondering, uh, you know, what's our timing? Uh, this is all to be decided, but I believe we're well down the road on it. It feels like to me and several others that my last sermon will be April 12th, which is Easter, and something about that just felt right and good. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so Easter will probably be, and then, and then it, this is something really marked, please, uh, but the 19th, the week after Easter, it looks like we'll be doing some sort of a, just a celebration send-off here, okay? So I hope you will be here that day, uh, almost more than Easter if you catch my drift, you know, because I'll, I want to hug you and love you, and so will Julie, and you know, it's just a moment, right? It's a thing, and we want to take the moment to have the moment, Right? So uh, the other thing is, is where are you going? And uh, we feel pretty strongly that we're supposed to go back to Denver, and I'll talk about some of the reasons why. There's many more, but that's what, it feels like that's where he's taking us. Um, I do want to make something clear, and that is I'm not retiring. Uh, I don't think I'll ever see your pastor again. I, you never know, and I don't want to say no, but uh, I don't think that that's what the Lord would have for me. But I do feel that there's an Act 3 out there, and what I feel like I'm supposed to do for the first year is to really just do nothing, uh, take care of grandkids, try and learn what it is to live not on adrenaline and cortisol. The Northwest is filled with caffeine addicts, and I never drank caffeine, so my drug was adrenaline and cortisol. And that's not just here. That's what it's been since, well, Julie just told you. That's what it's always been. And I think I'm supposed to take a year and try and find a different gear and uh, just really clear the deck, clear my head, clear my heart, just get to a place to where I can really hear him. And then and he's told me very clearly, don't, I don't want you to think about anything. Now, I don't know if we're going to be able to do that for reasons that are, you know, whatever. But, uh, but that's what we think we're supposed to do. And maybe we can do it, maybe we can't, I don't know, but the bottom line is that's what we're headed towards. And then that second year, we're going to just be praying and saying, you know, what do you want to do for Act 3? And then we'll really be seeking him, and I'm sure that he's got something for us that's going to be very interesting. It, it, who knows, right? And I'm, I, all the, I want to say, well, it could be this or it could be this, but again, the Lord's really got me to where he's saying, I don't want you to think about it. If you do now, you're going to influence it. I don't want you to influence it. I want you just to rest. When the time comes, I'll tell you what to do. Love you guys. So, uh, all right. So that's kind of details. If you got more questions like that, come up at Q&A at the end. But let me, I feel like I'm supposed to describe our process of making decision. A, because I think I owe it to you. And, you know, I want you to know what we did. But B, also, I do think there's something in it for us. How do you make a decision like this? You know? So let me just walk you through how we did it, okay? Um, the first thing is, is that we really didn't know that this was happening. We, I've been talking five years ago. I called Josh and Justine and I said, I want you guys to start praying about if you're supposed to take the church in I think two to five years. And I didn't know we were done. I still thought there was more time left, but I said that way back then. And Everything else. And then this last couple of years, we've been saying, yeah, it's certainly it's coming, 
But let's, and I still was thinking it was probably a couple of years. That's what I had in my head. It was probably a couple of years still. And so um, what happened was the sermon that I did on the 12th of January about the boomers and the millennials that's kind of gone viral and it really has impacted a lot of people and so on. That was a sermon that I had, not all those details because I got them, but I, I, I knew we were supposed to do something like this because last year was an enormous year of grace on this church, I think for me in general, but for me it was a year of rest. I took a Sabbath at the beginning of the year. Uh, there's a, there was a, a season that happened and then, you know, but then my mom died and then my dad died and I just think people had enormous grace for us and they were saying, it's okay, we don't have to do anything right now, which was exactly right, exactly what I think the Lord wanted to happen last year. I don't want you to do anything right now, I just want you to do, and I'll talk about that in a little bit more later, but I just want you to do church and just, you know, right? And so that's what we did. So on the Monday before I preached that sermon, I'm out on my prayer walk. And what you have to know, and staff can tell you this, before the Christmas break, I had on the calendar for what, two months I had on the calendar, hey, I think we're supposed to do this rollout thing where I'm gonna, we're going to preach some sermons in 2020 and it's time for there to be vision in this church again. This is something we've always done. You need to have your still waters and green pastures, but then it's off on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, right? And I was like, it's time for vision again in January. And I was thinking, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna speak a sermon, those two sermons that I did, and then we're gonna roll out a six to eight week prayer time where we really sought the Lord because this felt like a big change. This wasn't an iterative change. This felt like zeitgeist transition right? Big, huge transition. And I was going to involve the whole congregation in seeking the Lord and praying about it and ending in a Sunday where we even just prayed about it together and then talked about it. And then out of that would come the new vision that God wanted to do, and then we'd start doing it. And that's what was in my head about what was going to happen when I went out to pray on Monday morning. And I had that all worked out. But for some reason, and you guys remember, I kept saying, I don't feel like the Lord is releasing me to talk about the whole rollout. I don't know why. So it's starting to get late now, right? Because you want to do that a month or two in advance to create materials and all that stuff. So anyway, I go out on that Monday morning and the Lord gives me the sermon and it's great. And, but he says, I don't want you to talk about all that rollout stuff. And I was like, why? <laughs> you know, seems like those two go together. And he said, I want you to preach the sermon because it's incredibly important and I want you to speak it, but you're not going to be the one who's going to be doing the rollout. <laughs> it's really hard for me, you know, because that's who I am. You know, I'm like excited about what God's trying to do with the church and the church in general and so on. And so I'm like, oh, <laughs> now I got to tell you on that same day, if we were thinking about making a transition, which we weren't, not that we weren't thinking about it, but we weren't focusing on it. If I was focusing on it, there's two people that we've known, one since we were very young and one since LA. There was two people that have been through us with various transitions and so on that I would say, I'd want to talk to those two people and I'd want them to pray and I'd want to hear what they had to say. Out of the blue, both of them contacted me Monday. I hadn't talked to them in months. There's a third couple that 
again, because I wasn't thinking this way, but they contacted me on that day too after months. So there was three people that contacted me on one day. And then I'm out on my prayer walk and God's saying, you're not going to be here. And I'm going, oh. So I called up those three people. <laughs> and I said, something weird's happening. You contacted me. Let's chat. <laughs> it seems like it's the Lord. And to a person, they all said, we will pray. And, you know, who knows? But they said, we bear immediate witness to this is the Lord. And they're supposed to take it seriously. And this is most likely what's happening. They just immediate, you know, and they, and it was really, it was people I trust and I trust a lot of people here too, but you get the point, right? So at that point in time, now it's like, wow. And I'm kind of reeling. I talked to Julie about it. She's kind of reeling. And Tuesday morning I go out and pray and I'm hoping maybe pepperoni and, you know, this is going to be a new day. And you know what I mean? And I go out and I pray and then no, it's, it's just laser focused. This is what you're supposed to do. So I did what I always do whenever I want to think about doing something with the church. And not many people would know this, but I called Wanda Fisher because she's the one I always call first. Because if I'm thinking about something, her reaction to it, I know is going to be a heartbeat of God. It's going to be what's right in the church. I got a perspective. I got an angle. I got a thing. And, and she knows to not just agree with me. <laughs> She's just going to, I'm just going to let her react. So I actually did something, which you, you're not learning until right now. But I, there were some other facts and so on, and I just kind of threw them in there. And I'll talk about them a little bit later. But I threw those facts in there because I, what I did with her was, as I said, feels to me like the Lord's saying that we should leave, but really it would be much better. You remember this, it would be much better if I took two years. And if we just kind of did kind of what we're doing right now for two more years, and I threw that out there, and I threw that out there thinking that she would say exactly what she said. And her first words back to me was, the church can't do that. It's not going to last two years. It's not going to last two years like this. It's not the church that we built. It's not the church that we are. It's not what God's doing. It's not going to last. Now, that's what I thought, and that's what she said. So I went, okay. <laughs> I've even laid traps, and here they come, you know? And so at that point in time, I called a couple other long-term friends, and I asked them, and it felt like it was the Lord. And then I did something. And this is not to pat myself on the back. This is to say, how do you make a decision like this? What I did was, is I gathered the staff. They're the first people that I talked to. Now, you have to understand, that's not how it works in the church world. In the church world, if a pastor wants to do something, they don't talk to anybody in the church for a long time <laughs> because they may not go. And they don't want everybody thinking they want to leave or whatever. The dynamics, just, it just kinks dynamics, right? But we've never lived that way. Our way has always been, we want, if, if we're going through something, we want you to go through it with us because we need help. We might be getting it right. We might be getting it wrong. The healthiest thing I ever saw in all my church days was I was in Lander, Wyoming, pastoring a very, very difficult transition. We'd gotten through the transition. Now we were looking for the person that was going to take the church. I didn't want it. I didn't feel like it was the Lord. But the point is, is that we're doing this. And there's a guy from Lander, Wyoming, that's pastoring in Sun Valley, Idaho. And somehow his name came up, and he indicated he was, thought it might be the Lord. 
So we said, come candidate. Now here's what always happens when you do that. You come up with some excuse that nobody will be able to figure out. And then you and your wife take a little trip, you know, that nobody knows about and you go candidate. We might even preach and nobody knows about it. That's what happens, right? This is how it happens in the church world. This guy showed up. He went to his church and said, boy, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's God, maybe it's not, but I need your help. 13 people from the church came with him and candidated. Isn't that cool? I was, I was just like, I don't care. You're the man. <laughs> and no, he wasn't. That was what was really fascinating was is we all agreed. They agreed. We agreed. Wow, you know, this was phenomenal what you just did, but it isn't the Lord. And, and they were able to celebrate that they still had their pastor and went back and he got into a whole new season of things and so on. So it was great for them too. But the bottom line was is that I went to the staff because these are the people that I have been in the foxholes with now for years. These are people that I trust. These are people that I believe in. These are people that believe in me. These are people that care about the church as much as anybody does. These are the right people to talk to, right? They got skin in the game. This is important. And so I went to them and I said, big surprise. You all know it's been coming, but we all thought it was further out. But what do you think? And we just, you know, everybody agreed just like the other one. You know, we're going to agree to pray and it may change, but what's your initial thought? And again, to a person, everybody kind of went, this really does kind of feel like God. I don't think I like it. I don't think I want it, but it feels like it's probably the Lord. So, so then I called the elders and I set up an elder meeting thinking things were progressing at a certain rate for two weeks and they weren't, and so I came into church the next day, and I said, I, I just, or that week, and I said, can you guys meet this week instead? And they said, okay, and we went upstairs, and I said, this is what I'm thinking, and you guys, we have the best elders. They care so much about this church, and there's more, than, there's more elders in here than we're just in that room, I want you to know. That's a mantling from the Lord, but the bottom line was, is they all said, well, now, I want to say this. At some point in time now, we're talking, you know, quite a few people, staff and elders and, and so on. And, and at some point in time, I'm, I, got, I got to thinking, gee, it might be nice if somebody said, no, don't go. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? I was like, it was like, at one point in time, I got to thinking, it's like, you're leaving? Well, duh. <laughs> you know, it's time. Don't you see it? We've all been seeing it. Now, that's not how it was at all. They were, they were very much like, you know, we're hurting. This is, this is a big deal. This is a painful thing. We don't want to see you go. But yeah, it's the right thing at the right time in the right way. So, so then I went to council and I asked them to pray and to think about it again, got the same feedback. Now, I just want to tell you, there's a few other people that I talked to in terms of trying to make sure that they were praying for us and so on. Uh, but, the, but the bottom line is, is the scripture says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And these were the people that I care about the church and that have the, the heart of the church in mind and they have the heart of Kurt and Julie in mind. They want to do right all the way across. And I just got to tell you, I feel so safe in this decision because of these people that sought the Lord. And then John Y. wrote a beautiful, this is what I think the Lord is doing. And I asked him and I sent it out to everybody and I said, do you bear witness with this? And, and everybody has been, yeah, 
This really is the Lord. It really is the right thing. So that's the first sort of segment that I just want to say, and that is don't be afraid to talk to people. If you're making a big decision, don't be afraid to talk to people. To the contrary, the opposite is what's true. Talk to people. You need to trust them, you need, you know, but bring them in. Let them pray for you. Let them lift your arms. Let them be there. It's, you don't defer to them, right? But they're there to love, seek, and help you find God. And they have. And so thank you to all of you who laid aside your own thoughts and heart and desires and thought about what was best for the church and for us. Now, second section. When you're making a decision like this, when we made this decision, I don't want to go into teaching mode, right? I'm going to drift into it because of who I am, but let me just tell you what we did. Let me do it that way again, okay? Here's what I did. Here's what I knew. This is actually how I do everything, but this was especially important that I got it right, and that's this. You, I, could, I cannot have any other thought in my mind than, is this the Lord's will? Period. I can't think about finances. If you think about finances, you're going to make a decision that's going to have partly finances in them, and you're going to a degree to get it wrong. Period. I believe that with all my heart. I can't think about what I want because I'm going to get it wrong if I do that, if I let that creep into the decision. If I don't seek him first, what he wants and what it is to be standing right with him, trusting that everything else works out, trusting that he loves me, trusting that he's got this best for me and that he's doing right by me, right? So all I got to do is know, is this you or not? And I got to get rid of everything else, the finances, the location, what I want, what other people want, friends, everything, family. You got to lay it all down and you got to say, what do you want? What are you saying? And that's what I asked everybody that we prayed for us and everything else. I said, please, you've got to get rid of all the other stuff. What this might mean for the church, who might take it. Uh, you get rid of everything so that you're asking one question. And I got to tell you right there, there was enormous clarity in my heart. As I add other things back to it, which I'm just about to do, it gets more complicated. But I want to say for us, when we made this decision, we didn't think about anything other than what's your will, period. What do you want done? And I think we got a pretty clear thing about it. Now, though, let me talk to you about some things that I believe to be important for you to hear. They are confirmations for us, but I think they're important for the church to hear because of some stuff. But let me tell you something about confirmation. If there's something that you really want... Just look around and try and get confirmation and you'll see 150 things that will confirm it completely. It doesn't mean they're God, but if you want to get confirmed in what you want, you don't have any problem doing that. I'm going to take it to a really difficult place right now, even though, because I want you to know how serious this is. I have had a number of people in my life that had illnesses that eventually took their lives. And for all the grace in the world... It's super easy to be reading a word and to hear that word as a word from the Lord, which he does in fact give. God does do that. 
But it's really easy to hear a word from the Lord and to stand on that. And to stand on this is what the Lord has promised. You gotta, I'm slipping into teaching for one second here. If the first time you're trying to discern what is God and what is you is when you're in mortal peril, you can't get it right. You gotta practice all the time. You gotta practice, you gotta learn. I do a little chart, many of you have seen, about how to make a decision. It's four quadrants. And on the top quadrant, it's I'm going to do this thing that I'm thinking about, and then I'm not gonna do the thing I'm talking about. So that's the top two quadrants, right? And what I do is I say, okay, now I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to give me your initial reaction. You're going to do this thing, how do you feel? This is how I feel right? Either really good or really bad or whatever, right? And then I say, okay, now stop that, wipe that slate clean. Now I go over here. I'm not going to do this. Now, how do you feel? Well, you know, if I felt really good about the first one, I feel really crappy about the second one, right? And here's what I say to people at that point in time. I say, now you know where the problem is. Now you know where your bias is. Now you know what's going to try and pull you off of God's will. It doesn't mean that it isn't God's will, even if, you know, you may, God isn't always denying us what we want, <laughs> right? But it does mean that you gotta know your bias. You gotta know. So when you start talking about confirmation things, you gotta really be careful, really be discerning. Always hold it lightly, and at the same time, stand on it. If God has promised you something, stand on it. And I'm gonna tell you right now, here's what I look for. When I'm standing on a thing that God promised me, does it feel like I have to keep reinforcing it? Does it feel like I have to keep doing it in order to have it? Because if it's God, it's my experience that when you stand on the things that God has says, it will just grow. You won't have to work at it. It'll become certain in you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When it's God, it has life. And when you stand in life, it gives you life. If you're having to conjure, then the likelihood is you're the one that wants this. And you're doing everything you can just to hold on to it because it's important. We good here? So let me talk about some confirmations then. Here's the first one and the biggest one in terms of what's important to my heart. It's time. I don't mean us. I mean the church. It's time. There's chronos is the Greek word for the passage of time. Kairos is his time, that moment. And you can blow right through those moments. And he has grace and he can work it out and blah, blah, blah. But, but there's a moment. And I just want you to think about Take me out of the equation. Take how you feel about us out of the equation. Take everything out and just listen to what God has been saying now for years and listen to what he's been saying this last year. Just obey even if you don't understand. Trust me. Isn't that what he's been saying for a year? Even though you don't understand, even though you don't know, even though you have no way of knowing, trust me. <laughs> just obey, trust me. And then, even before this had happened to me and I knew that this was coming, the sermons that, that Kevin and Justine did at the first of the year, 
totally set us up for change. He's been saying that all along. The zeitgeist change. How many, when did I start talking about that? The zeitgeist change in the air. But this started becoming change, that zeitgeist change in us. Now, the surprise was I didn't know I was part of that. <laughs> I didn't know that that meant me. <laughs> but we preached what we were told to preach. And when all of a sudden he opened my eyes and said, this is the day, and I looked at it, I went, I can't imagine a body who is more ripe for a genuine, full, new than this body right now. In fact, the two-year thing that I talked about with Wanda, the two-year thing is, it really needs to not be me. And it needs to happen now. You don't just sit around and wait until it's convenient for me to leave. What you got to do is, this is it, right? It, it, we got to the end of the year. This is the beginning of the year. Here comes God. He wants to do something new. You don't want me starting it for two years and then handing it off to somebody because that won't work. You don't want me even involved in it because I'm going to bring all my baggage and viewpoint into it. How are you going to get new? Off with his head. <laughs> right? You know, you bring in somebody who is God's will, who will then do his will. And as a body, you give yourself to them and you go with them, if that's what God's telling you to do. So this is the moment. This is the Kairos moment that we're supposed to be in. And this is where we are. And to a degree that I have to say, I knew that you know, but boy, once God opened our eyes to it, Julie and I just couldn't see anything but that. Wow. This is the day, you know, for the church, not us, for the church. Actually, for us, you'll find out in a second, it's not as convenient as it is for the church. That doesn't mean God doesn't have us. But you get the point. So let me give you another sort of confirmation on that. Mario Vallada, I love you. You have transformed this entire church in the most beautiful way, and I can't even begin to thank you enough. It's remarkable what's happened. Let me tell you about another person who's been very important in this church's history, many of whom you know because he went to church here for a long time, Mark Roberts. Mark Roberts is an unbelievably outstanding guy. And when we were at 173rd campus and we felt like God was saying to go look for a building, Mark is the guy who worked through a very complicated real estate transaction with three different moving pieces, three different properties, our property, this property, and Crossroads new property, and three different moving pieces and a whole bunch of fundraisers and a whole bunch of things inside of it. Mark is the guy who coordinated all of the different aspects in order to make this building happen. About... I guess it'd be almost three years ago now. I went to Mark and I said, you know, I think we could do something in the parking lot that would actually not impact our parking very much. Right now, it looks like it's impacting it quite a bit. But you have to understand, when we get done, we get all the parking of the new structure forever. So we end up, we end up losing 20 to 30 spaces total in the parking lot. And we're redesigning all the rest of the parking lot. But I want you to understand that when I went to Mark, by the way, let me just say, we're, Mario, what are we? A couple of weeks besides the parking lot, we're done. So think about that. 
Now here's what Mark said. I called up Mark and I said, I don't want you to hear this from anybody else. So I want to tell you, we think it's, we're done. And Mark said, do you remember what I told you when you asked me if, you, if, you, if I'd help you with finding a buyer and working through all of that stuff? I, I wouldn't have done that, couldn't have done that well. So I asked Mark to handle all of that. And he found us the perfect person where we could get all that parking. And it was the most compact building that you could build there because it's memory care and it takes less space and, and there's not much parking that's necessary. And it was just, it was just like a, a miracle. And Mark is the one who did it. He said, do you remember what I said when you asked me to help you with that? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, I told you that I wanted to provide an exit strategy for you. And as soon as he said it, I went, oh my gosh, I do remember that. And what he said was, and what he was saying was, and let me just, Mark, if you're hearing this, this is not exactly what our conversation was, but this is what we both just had a moment on, he before me. Paul said, I just realized, just think about it. If we'd have given this building, if we'd have had a pastoral transition, say, five years ago with this building, even two years ago, it would have been a big problem. There was a huge problem on the roof right here, 100 grand or more. There's another huge problem underneath these awnings out here, just rotting away. Huge problems on the roof that was giving way. This is, these are very big ticket items. And the whole facility, because we said we're going to use it until it falls down. So we did exactly what we said, and we have used this facility very heavily for outreach and income. It's been beautiful. But the cost of it was carpets had worn out, and you know the building was just not in good shape anymore. And if I'd have given that building to somebody back then when the building was in that kind of condition, it would have been an enormous problem for the person coming in. They would have had to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars just to fix things that needed to get fixed. And that wasn't even the aesthetics. I would have been embarrassed. I would have felt like a failure if I was giving a headache like that to somebody. Now, I'm proud to give this building to somebody. We have fixed everything, we have beautified it, we've brought it up in the cheapest but magnificent way. And, and now, I'm telling you, this is absolutely true, we are definitely within one of the top 10, of all the four square churches in the country, we are definitely in the top 10%. And when you add in what we've done in order to make revenues happen and so on, I don't know how close we get, but we're one of the top properties in all of four square. There are bigger buildings and all that kind of stuff, but what, what we do and, and the income that it produces, we make with the remodel and everything else, we can make around 40,000, just a little shy of 40,000 against a $16,000 mortgage because we bought down our mortgage real a lot. There is no church in Foursquare that you can give to a new pastor where they have a plus $24,000 income on the day that they walk in the door. There's just no such thing as that. So I'm proud. I think you should be proud. We have used the heck out of it and done tons of ministry and had a huge impact in our community. And it's beautiful and it's healthy and it's strong. And now we can give that to somebody as an asset, not a burden. But let me show you another little wrinkle in that. We just finished the upstairs and we just finished the downstairs. 
And I'm impressing Julie, hey, you know, we've been going without income for quite a while, long time because how long the permits took and everything else. And we've, we've, it's cost us a lot of money that we weren't expecting, even though we had it in our budget, but we couldn't have put in years of delay in our budget, which is what we had. And, and so I was going, you need to get it back up to speed to where we're all right financially because we need to get all the income. And then if we cut a little bit of expenses here and there, we, we're okay again. And, you know, and everything else. Well, all of a sudden, Julie and I are thinking about it. All of a sudden we went... What if the new team doesn't want to use the space as aggressively as we have? We're going to lease it for two or three years because that's what we do. You don't, you give, you, you know, and then there's the, but these are long-term leases that we're signing and they're going to be stuck with a long-term lease and they may not want it. So all of a sudden, you think of the timing here. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can't, we can't go and lease it and do what we would do because they may not want that. So get out of the way so that the new team can come in and take a look at it and decide what they want to do so that they can build the church that they want to build. Again, just the perfect Kairos timing. I could go on, but let me switch to personal real quick. I'm not going to take too much time on this. Staff, elders, and council know something. We were on sabbatical January through March. At the end of March, I'm praying to the Lord about whether or not we're supposed to come back. Everybody knew that I might not come back. At that time, there were lots of people who were saying, we don't know that you're coming back. And I was like, well, I don't think I'm not coming back, <laughs> but maybe, you know, who knows? But I get it because this thing has been around for a while and maybe this is the time. And by the way, I just want to say, I always ask the Lord if I'm still supposed to be here. Every time I come back from a trip, I ask the Lord because you just always want to be checking in with him. But it doesn't mean you're focused. So I was focused now going, I'm supposed to go back. Am I supposed to go back? And I'm out there praying on the road. I can tell you the road where I was in the corner that I was just about to bend. And, I, and he talked to me right as I was making the bend. And what he said was, is, I want you to commit for seven months. This is the end of March. I want you to commit for seven months. And I instantly knew this. What I knew was, I'm a planner, two-year, five-year, 10-year plans, takes to execute, so on, and I instantly knew I wasn't supposed to do that because I might not be here. But, I didn't, but there was no sense that I wasn't going to be here. And so when I came back and I talked to staff and council and elders, I said, I don't know what this means because I don't know if we're here for a lot longer or not. I just don't know. The thing that I know is, is God told me, commit for seven months. In the elder meeting just a few weeks ago, John Batterman says, has it occurred to you that seven months is right when your dad died? And it hadn't. I said yes, because I just, I don't know why I did that. You know how you do that sometimes. But then just seconds later, I, I said, I, no, it hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just shocked me. You know, I mean, it was just, I was just caught like a deer in the headlights. And then I went, I hadn't thought of that. And that's a thing. Now, I'm going to explain in a second why that's even a bigger thing. But here's what I want to show you. Seven months ago, I think the Lord was indicating that we weren't going to be here. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, don't go back as if you're not going to be here after seven months. Go back and commit to it. Put your head down. Nose to the grindstone. Go for it. Work hard. Do what you always do. Keep doing it. You don't know if you're going to be here or not. 
So work, right? But then, you know, it's Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and here we are at the beginning of the year when it would be time to do something new, and here we are. So I think the Lord was telling us back then, timing, and here we are. There's one other that I'm going to share with you, actually one funny one before I do that. Our landlord wrote us right after I got all of this and said, hey, I'm going to sell your unit. So we're homeless again, probably mid-April. He said, I'm putting it on the market in March. I'll give you a little reduction in rent. It's going to take about 30 days after it sells. It'll take a couple of weeks. to." So literally right in the middle of April, we're homeless again. <laughs> so that's the circumstance I would never lean on. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. I love that. But here's one that was big, huge for us. My daughter has a thing going on at her work where it's, it's quite a bit more shouldering of responsibility. It's a, a thing. And they went on a retreat to talk about what it all meant. And they did their 10-year plan, five-year plan, one-year plan, the quarterly plan. She felt like she was supposed to say yes to what was being asked. But she looked at the quarterlies and she said, I have two kids. There's no way I can do this. She still felt like she was supposed to say yes, so she went ahead and said, yeah, I think I'm supposed to do this. But she had no way to understand how she could do it. She was like, this is going to, am I going to lose my kids in this? What's going to happen here? She calls me as they're leaving the retreat. It's up in Vail, and she calls me on the way home. Before she can tell me anything about this, because I don't know anything about it, before she can say anything to me, I said, hey, honey, there's something going on that I need to tell you, and it looks like God is moving us, and soon. And she hears that, and she breaks down and starts crying. And she said, let me tell you, just not even a half hour ago, I'm sitting in a room being told what it is I have to do in this, the, you know, the ramp up is always the most aggressive, difficult part of it, right? And she said, I had no way of understanding how I would do that. And she said, but I know what you guys want to do if you come here, and that's you want to pick them up from school, which we really do. You want to take them to the doctor, which we really do. You want to do whatever kind of things that they need to do after school and the projects and the things and all that kind of stuff, all the things that for the next year or two, I'm probably not going to be able to be like I've been able to be. And she said, I feel like this is God's provision for me. You want that stuff in your life. <laughs> you want to be making a decision that's really a reach and having, the God, having God use it and say, you're going to get to bless in a way that would be our heart to bless. So let me stop that now and just tell you one thing that I think is really important for you to hear. And then we're going to do one last thing and we're done. There was a major hiccup. As we were looking at all of this, one of the things that happened when my father died, that was both my parents having passed away in a short period of time, it meant that this ranch that's worth a considerable sum is now, we can't keep it. It's $200,000 a year just to keep it. We can't afford, none of us can afford that. So we put it on the market and we're told by the real estate agent, don't even expect it to sell for at least two years. The average length of time is two years. 
and this thing will probably take longer than that. Well, it didn't. And so we got an offer real quickly, and they're supposed to close on March 7th, and I called up the trustee, and I said, what does that mean? I said, Am I, can I look for a, you know, we haven't owned a home and since we were 26 years old. We've, you know, we just haven't been able to afford one. And I said, you know, if, if we're going, can I look at a home and so on? And he said, I think so, yeah, we can disperse it, no problem. And so I was like, okay, and so, you know, it's a home. It's not enough money that we could live off of forever. I, we're going to have to work and do something for income. But it's a very different life than what we've led for the last 30-plus years of really month to month. I mean, we are every month. If, if I don't have an income, we're broke. So, you know, that's nice. And I'm thinking, oh, isn't this wonderful? God's telling us to go, and he's providing for us. This is great, isn't it? Right? Well, I find out last Wednesday night, or Saturday night, a week ago, I find out, oh, wait a minute, it's going to be six months minimum and probably as much as a year before you see anything. So at this point in time, I'm already pretty committed to leaving. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm going to be poor. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, joy. But those of you who got it, council, elders, and staff, you got the email from me. And what I said was, I said, I'm actually pretty happy about this development, even though I'm not happy, because it would be really nice for it all just to be easy. But Dave and Jan Brunk had decided that God had called them to go to Belarus or Russia, but it became Belarus. And right before they would leave, they ha you have to have a sponsor or you can't come in. And they didn't speak any Russian, which is a very difficult language to speak. You, they had to have a translator. They couldn't have rented a place or figured out how to do anything. They wouldn't have been able to come and they wouldn't have been able to do anything. And here it is two weeks beforehand and two things happen. The first one is their youngest daughter, Angie, falls out of a two-story window and breaks her back. And it looks like medically there's no way she can go. And then the second thing is your translator, they've been working with them for how long? Was it over a year? Certainly months, right? Months? And then disappeared. Have you ever talked to her again to this day? But it was a long time after. But they're, trans they're supposed to go in two weeks. They have airplane tickets, stuff packed up. They're leaving, and their translator sponsor disappears. Won't return phone calls, don't know where she is, cannot go. They go to Pops, and they say, look what's happened. And here's Pops' response. This is a good thing, and here's why. You're going to be sitting over there one day and you're going to wonder whether or not you should have drug your four kids to a place like that. You're going to wonder if it was really the Lord's will for you to go. You're going to need to have a miracle that you can look back on that tells you that it was his will. Right? And that's what came into my heart when this happened, when we found out we weren't going to be able to be, we still don't know what our financial situation is going to be. It's very much in the air right now. But the thing is, it made Julie and I do what we were already inclined to do, which was to stop and say, okay, if it means we have to go and get jobs just to survive, are we willing to do it? Is it still the right decision? And both of us just went, we just went like this. One of our friends he said, he had been with us on several of these moves. He said, Kurt, I remember 
first of all, when you left LA and you didn't have any money and you were moving to Jackson because it was the Lord, and I believe it was the Lord and the Lord provided for you. But now you're in Jackson and you've got two opportunities before you. One is this church in, in Seattle that has uh, $4,000 income and $6,000 mortgage payment. And the other one is an 800-person church that is super healthy and super good, and it's in a ski town. <laughs> right? And, and literally, like, like there's a ski area 10 minutes away, and then there's Taos, like I'm 45 minutes away, which is... So, and so what he said was, he said, I remember us praying and thinking that it was Seattle, but secretly I was thinking, you're so stupid. <laughs> why wouldn't you take the money and the ski town and all the stuff you love? Why wouldn't you do that? And he said, Kurt, I want to tell you, he said, I have watched you make these moves and I have watched you never let money be an issue in any way. You have never made a decision based on money. And he said, when we were talking to him about the hiccup that had happened and what we were supposed to do, and he said, you came here for $30,000 a year, which wasn't a living wage. You had to trust the Lord. And he said, why should it be any different now? <laughs> You've always trusted him. He's always met you. Now, I don't, I don't want to be facile about this. That doesn't mean we're going to be like super comfortable. It just means he's got us. Right? I'm going to tell you one last thing, real quick. That same guy spoke the Lord's words to us early on in the process when we called him up. And we, I was describing to him, Julie and I were on a conference call, or a speaker phone call. And I was describing to him what was going on. And he said, Kurt, he said, here's what I think about your decision. And he said, this is our second conversation with him. And he said, this is a, if you're hearing this, you know that I'm taking some liberty and I'm adding some stuff to it, but that's, this is what I was hearing. This is like a good paraphrase of the Bible, right? This is what happened in me as he was talking. And what he said is, I watched you come into LA and he said, I got this image in my mind of a lump of clay and it's not formed. And he said, I watched you come into LA and even as an associate pastor, I watched you form this lump of clay, mold it into what God wanted, into something beautiful. And then you went to Jackson and it was a mess I was going into, a very serious mess, a, a mess. And he said, I watched you mold the congregation into something beautiful. And then the church that you had to transition, I watched you take a lump that was in very serious trouble, and I watched you mold it. And then you came to Seattle, and he said, you know, there was 40 people there, and it, there was a lot of issues, and... He said, I watched God mold it through you into something beautiful. And then it was time to do it again, and I watched you mold it again. And then it was time for you to do it again, and I watched you mold it again. And he said, I'm telling you. I think what the Lord's trying to tell you is, is it's, this isn't, you don't get to mold this one. There's a clay that's ready for the master's hand. And it's not you. <laughs> Julie and I both just started crying when we heard that because it was a confirmation. But it was also a word 
And I share it with you because what happens next? Let's be clear. We're going to a very specific prayer, and it's Josh and Justine. I've been talking to them about it for years. I want to make something clear. I do not know what the Lord's will is for them in this place. They don't either. We are proceeding with some planning as if it is and so on because we need to. But nonetheless, they are trying to figure it out too. And let me say something right here. You have to do the same thing with them as we had to do in what I just described. You have to get out of your heart. Do you like her preaching or not like her preaching? Do you think she can lead? Do you not think she can lead? Do you think Josh is going to help? What are they going to be like as a team? What is it going to be? Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? What's it going to look like? What's it going to be? All of the things that naturally flood into your mind, you have to get rid of that first. Because nothing matters other than whether or not we're supposed to give it to them. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, nothing matters. If it looks like it's perfect, Justine preached last week, it can look perfect and it doesn't mean it's God. Right? So the issue is we got to get it out of all of our hearts because I'm here with you. What are we supposed to do next? If God wants them there, then it will be a sin and a crime for us not to put them in. If God doesn't want them there, it'll be a sin, a crime, and a great harm that we will have done to two people that we love. So we got to get it right, right? We got to get it right. And that's why I think I've told all of this. How do you make a decision like this? You get rid of everything else and you go to the Lord and you press in and you pray and there's safety and a multitude of counselors and we talk about it and we pray through it and we go through this as a family. Is it them or not? It doesn't even matter if you think you'd stay or not with them. What matters is, is that you're saying, what is your will, Lord? That's the only thing that matters. And when we get that right, we're gonna, we're gonna have it right. And let me tell you something, just because I need to, okay? Let's just say it isn't them. Well, then there are other possibilities sitting in this room right now, but we're not going into that right now. We're just not talking about that because we need to stay focused on the first question that's before us, the one that we've been thinking is the Lord for a long time. But let me just say, what happens if it really isn't them and it really isn't anything else? And then we go to Dave Veach. Well, I've been through pastoral... Dave Veach is my boss, the guy who appointed me. That's how it works in Foursquare. You get appointed. We don't vote on who we want. And we don't control them. Foursquare appoints them. But here's what Dave Beach does. I just went through a pastoral transition with him out in Duval. Here's what he does. He comes to the, not necessarily the whole congregation, but he comes to the leadership. And what he does is he says, what's going right at the church and what do you think needs to change? What kind of a person are you looking for to try and do that? And he gathers the information from what our heart is. And then he says, who out there fits this bill? Who seems to be right? And when he gets what he thinks to be a match, then he brings them in. What do you think? See what I mean? So this is not a scary process, even if it gets to that place. The Lord can use that as much as he can use Joss and Justine or anybody else. The Lord is the one who's in control. They may do what they've done at Eastside, which is to bring someone in to preach for a few months in order to give a little space between. That can be a really healthy thing to do for a congregation. It's just a moment to breathe and to pray and to think and to process and to really go through an orderly process. And here's the point. Why don't you just stay until then, Kurt? 
If anybody's ever been in a room with me in a meeting, you know if I'm not going to be part of the execution of that meeting, you don't want me in that room. Okay? So I need to be, it needs to be you. The people that care. The people who have done so much for so long in so many ways, who have sought the Lord and trusted him. How many times have I taken us on a journey I think it was the Lord. But how many times have we gone on a journey where you were going, is it really going to work to get rid of all of our pastors? Is that really going to happen and work? Is it really going to work for us to go to a service where there is no break between the services and we just start worship at 8.30 in the morning and we end it at 11? Is it really going to, I mean, we've done all kinds of things, but we've just trusted the Lord and trusted that he would work that out. And this is where we are right now. What's the Lord doing? You're going to hear from various people from the church to sort of hear things and let the Lord hear things and so on. And we're not leaving tomorrow. But Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we give this place to you. John, go ahead and work your way up here, would you? But God, we give this place to you. We give this church to you. We, you've been casting a lot of vision and ideas and thoughts and everything else. And so we come before you right now and what we say as a, as a congregation, as the Lake Sam body, as the Lake Sam family that you have built, we say your kingdom come and your will be done, period. I've asked John to come up and not pray for me, but pray for us. So Lord, we just thank you that you hold us, all of us, in the palm of your hand. We are loved. Amen. And so Lord, we look to you um, for the guidance. We thank you for the gift that Julie and Kurt have been for the last 20 plus years. And we look forward to what you have for them and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us step up to the place that we need to be uh, in this transition. Lord, you are growing each one of us in new and different ways. And so, Lord, we, we open ourselves to you, and we ask you to bless us with this new revelation, with this new way of relating with you. And we ask you, Lord, also to bless Julie and Kurt as they move you, to where this next act that you have for them. And while it's not necessarily going to be easy for them or for us, we can trust you. Amen. And we just thank you. And we are going to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Jesus Amen. Name. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Ushers, can you come forward?